1: All right, good evening, everybody. My name is Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you from KFMB Studios with 50,000 watts of power. We're heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. If you download the app for 760 KFMB, you could hear us on any device. And uh, if you uh, stream us on 760 uh, uh KFMB.com. You can hear us there. And also, all these podcasts are commercial free on iWetMoney.com. And now, time to introduce the main man of the hour. He's a CPA extraordinaire. He's a marathon runner. He's a best selling author, a philanthropist, and a family office expert advising several high net worth families. His name is Richard Musey. Richard good how are you tonight? I'm good, Joe. Did you even take a breath there? I don't know. <laughs> I stumbled my way through as best I could. So. Okay. But i look, I don't want to waste any time. We've got a really cool guest on tonight. Uh, as you know, Joe, should, they're all cool. This one's cooler. <laughs> this is the one of the coolest, I think, and I've been looking forward to this for a long, 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 long time. But uh, he's, uh, he's pretty much a legend in the entertainment world, folks. I mean, he's been uh, he's had over, had over five hundred uh, national TV appearances. He's been on The Tonight Show, I believe, 111 times total. Fifty with Johnny, 11, 11 with Jay, and then another fifty with Letterman. Uh, my gosh, he's opened up for Frank Sinatra as a comic and, and toured with him for 14 years, in addition to opening for, listen to this, Richard, Smokey Robinson, Tony Orlando, Gladys Knight, Liza Minnelli, Sammy Davis Jr. He's been an actor in many TV shows. He's been in, uh, in films, uh, Man on the Moon, Trouble with the Curve which is a baseball movie. Well, that's a baseball in, in movie, I think we can talk right? about that. Yeah. Uh, WKRP, Cincinnati, Family Ties, Colombo, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and uh, not only that, a close personal friend of uh, Chairman of the Board, Mr. Frank Sinatra, the late great. And uh, Tom Dreeson, welcome to our show.
0: Well, I'm, you know, my career wasn't as long as that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> You told me things. I, I didn't even remember I did those things. Yeah,
1: really nice it's unbelievable. And, uh, you know, and of course, I didn't even mention Tim Reed and Tim and Tom. I think Tim, I, I saw him as a comic out here years ago in Comedy Store. But but gosh, Tom Dreesen, uh, g- you know, great appearances on Letterman. I actually filled in for him once uh, when he was sick with the shingles, as you talked about. But um, born and raised in Harvey. Where the heck is Harvey? I'm from Illinois, Tom, and I'm still not sure where Harvey is.
0: It's a suburb on the south side of Chicago. It's 147 South of the loop. So it's it's a it's a steel it was when I was growing up it was a microcosm of Chicago. It had steel mills and factories and God's so and um close you to know, Gary Indiana.
1: Yeah close to Gary, Indiana almost I guess, huh? Is it that well far yes side?
0: on the south side Gary yeah. is is in a far drive yeah. from there <clears throat> which yeah. was another steel mill town. Yeah. A tough little town. But Harvey was was yeah. like that, yeah.
1: Yeah, but uh so uh how many miles south of the city would you say? Ten miles south or yeah,
0: it's it's you know you, you here's the way you do it. The loop would be zero. The, mm-hmm. the center of the, is, is Chicago, and 147 blocks south
1: is where Harvey was. Wow! Do the math, Richard. Mm-hmm. How many so, miles is that? <laughs> how many blocks to a mile? I don't even know. About ten blocks it's to about a mile. 10 miles. So fourteen. Yeah. So yeah. It's about twelve years. miles, probably. So yeah. good, good yeah. guess yeah. on my part. So from, from the heart of the city, yeah. yeah. From the heart of the city. But humble, humble origins, right? Tom uh, grew up um, a lot of kids, right? Yeah. What did you have? Seven siblings. There
0: was yeah seven, seven there was eight, we had I had eight there was eight of us in the family yeah four boys and four girls yeah um we we you know five of us slept in one bed we we lived I grew up in a shack you know five of us slept in one bed unreal uh, we had no bathtub no shower no hot water huh you know um we had to boil water it, was, it wasn't during the depression i'm not that old but yeah you know as a little boy i i shine shoes in taverns i set pins in bowling alleys i caddied in the summertime i carried two bags a day i, I uh, sold newspapers on the corner yeah uh, my whole life just to feed my brothers and sisters none of this i regret i right. I, I, I always
1: it's all part i of think our, that's
0: the greatest thing that ever happened it's to me. part
1: of our education you know it's a, it's a life experience but uh I mean, you've talked about you know, you know your dad was actually your 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 uh, mom's brother-in-law. You've talked. You, is he still around, by the way? Your, your well, birthday? no, he,
0: he's dead.
2: Uh-huh.
1: The,
0: my father was Walter Dreesen. Uh-huh. But my biological father, which I found out later, was um, my mother had had an affair. Yeah. Uh, with her her brother-in-law, and he was uh, an Italian named Polizzi, Frank Polizzi. and yeah. uh, I emulated him when I was growing up. He, I mean, he. I didn't know at that time, nor did he knew that I know, you know,
2: uh-huh. it was
0: kind of a, a little private thing between him and my mom. Uh-huh. And, uh, I would shine shoes in all the taverns in my neighborhood and I would come to his tavern last. And, uh, he, I, I went there because my mother was a bartender at, at, that place. But also I'd wait for the shifts to change in the factory. And then I'd go back out to all the taverns in my neighborhood again with my shoe shine box. And you're doing, this, I so went what, there what, last
1: because, what age were you when you were doing this? Like four, 13, 14, 15?
0: No, no, I was eight, nine years old Are when I started kidding? shining shoes.
1: Unbelievable.
0: <clears throat> and, uh, and, and I would go to his tavern last because he told jokes behind the bar.
2: Right. And he, he
0: owned the bar, but he would tell these jokes. And I was fascinated by that with his vocabulary and his inflection, um, uh, he could cause this sound to come out of people's bodies that would fill the room like electricity and unite all these people. It was just a fascinating thing to me to watch him tell jokes. And I, and I would tell some of his jokes, many that should not be told on a Catholic <laughs> school playground. But, uh, <clears throat> but I, So I emulated him. Uh-huh. It was years later that when I realized, you know, where babies come from, you know, uh, I didn't want to think that my mom and dad did that, let alone my mom and my uncle, you uh-huh. know, her brother. And <laughs> and, but I looked just like his sons, and, and I, I confronted him one day, and, uh, and, and, he, and we had a long talk, and, and it was a private thing between him and I, and I never brought it up again huh. until years later. I mean, him and I it remained close you know but uh i never brought it up again until now everybody's passed away so and gone so th- was there any friction
1: between the the the, you know, the brothers or anything like that or was it just kind of no one ever talked about it much or uh, but you no no
0: one ever i love my brothers and sisters yeah, you know when you no, I, mean, I mean i were,
1: mean your your birth dad and your your real dad i mean uh,
0: they did not know they, they oh. i mean and, and my my uh, real dad, my, my father you know, my birth dad, it, it never he never knew and oh, I never
1: brought up with him. No one it?
0: ever knew. It was our secret, you know. Oh.
1: <clears throat> how cool is that? I mean it's, you're your love child, for God's sake.
0: <laughs> That's well how you're I, I don't know if it's cool or not, but it doesn't affect me. Yeah. Some people always whenever if I talk about this it sounds like a soap opera, so they thought that I might be traumatized in some way, which I was never. Mm-hmm. I never you know, I'm I you know, I everything I have, everything I am, everything I own, uh came about because you know, I'm, well, well, that's what amazes me about you,
1: Tom. You're such a pleasant, positive, nice person, you know, despite humble origins. So you really are an icon for a lot of people growing up uh, in the same manner and that you can become a success in your chosen field, uh, you know, if you keep your attitude right. And, uh, and you're a pretty intelligent guy too, I think. So uh, you must read a lot and, and whatnot, right? So a lot of it's self-taught. The things we learn best are the things we teach ourselves, right?
0: Well, yes, but you have to, Richard, ask this question to, to Joe. If I'm so intelligent, what am I doing on this show? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, look, look Tom, Wait, we, no. we've been insulted on air by Don Rickles, yeah, so Rick- we know where we stand, <laughs> yeah. okay? Put it that way. Yeah,
1: this guy. They, we had Brickles uh, on the phone. He goes, "Before you go, Don, you, you, you know, you got to insult us because we haven't arrived until even." So he goes, ahead and insult, "You know, we're asking yeah. for it."
3: But uh, he said he was very happy to be on the air with a couple of nobodies. But look
1: at our roster of guests, Tom. You know, you're in good company, my friend, Billy Jean King, and and uh, we've had a lot of uh, uh, Jim Lampley, a lot George of George Takei's been uh, on, uh, Dick Enberg, yeah. and, and whatever. So so there. Oh, are
0: and I know a lot of those people, and I and I yeah. really respect them a great deal. Yeah. But in answer to your question, mm-hmm. I was a high school dropout. Mm -hmm. I I was going to school every day with holes in my shoes and I was setting pins in bowling alleys till midnight and then sometimes what they call pot games I'd set them till 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. and then get up at 7 o'clock and go to school and be falling asleep in the study hall so at age 16 I quit school and at age 17 I went into the Navy and I I joined the Navy and I uh, got a high school diploma from the Navy and and I I served four years in the Navy and nine months in a Marine Corps unit called Mm NEGDF but I went to night school went to junior college when I came out, but I read every single positive mental attitude book I could read because mm. I came from such a negative background, mm. and that the neighborhood I grew up in, and uh, you know most people, heavy drinkers, and
2: mm-hmm.
0: all this negativity around me, I started reading Norman Vincent Peale, A Power of Positive Thinking, A Guide mm. to Confident Living. I started reading Maxwell Maltz, Psycho-Cybernetics. I read
3: Dale uh, Carnegie. W. Clement
0: Stone, Del- Dale Carnegie. Do mm-hmm. you in
3: Napoleon Hill?
0: Yes. Think and grow rich. Mm-hmm. You know. I, I read all the and, and, and then I began to practice those principles in my life.
2: Mm.
3: And,
0: and and then I beca- I worked very hard at becoming a success, but most of all of re shaping my mind Mm -hmm. and changing my thought process if you can change your thoughts you can change your feelings it's a giant concept you know but Mm -hmm. uh, negative thoughts have no power over you unless you allow them to have power over you other people's words have no power over you unless you allow them to have power over you so I, i i now today i lecture at universities I, I, for corporate America, I talk on four subjects: perception, visualization, self-talk, and develop a sense of humor. Mm. And and I and I uh, so I do this for at colleges, at that's high schools, outstanding for free a lot of times. I,
3: for, I know some presidential candidates America. that could use your services. Yeah. Anyway, uh, no folks. Yeah. By the
0: way, Richard, you're right on the money. <laughs>
1: yeah, we could talk some more, but hey, we'll be back after this break with Tom Dreesen, the legendary comic and entertainer. Right after this, hang on. All right, we're back with Tom Dreesen, legendary comic entertainer, been on The Tonight Show 111 times.
0: Uh, well, I wasn't really. I was oh, on The Tonight or, Show 61, 61 I'm times, sorry. and I was on Letterman over 50 Over
1: 50, there we go. But, uh, boy, that that sound never gets old. We had Joan Embry on recently, and um, I, I commend that interview to, to you. We, had, we were talking about uh, Johnny and his uh, visits down here to San Diego <coughs> Zoo and Wild Animal Park, et cetera. And, um, but... Um, so, so Tom, you got out of the military, you, you did a lot of self-schooling, and um, and then what possessed you? When did you do, start? I think you met up with Tim Reed. You first started out... Well, tell us about when you first started in comedy, because I know you did the,
0: the... Well, here's what happened. When I came out of the service, I wandered aimlessly. I was married. I had three kids. I didn't know... You know, I, I got married when I was 19. I, I, you know, I got, when I was in the service, I got three kids, and now I... I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was working construction, wheeling concrete. I was, uh, you know, I, I uh, sold life insurance. I I was a bartender. I was mm-hmm. a photographer's helper. I I did. All, I worked on a loading dock, uh, and I became a teamster loading trucks. And then I dropped my cart, and I became management and worked for a big trucking firm, where I had forty-eight teamsters working for me. But I was never really content with what I was doing. <clears throat> but I've joined a civic group called the JCs, mm. and. And uh, I, it, they taught you how to become a leader in your community, how mm-hmm. to serve on a, on a, uh, a committee, how to, um, how, how to uh, chair a committee, how to, just how to get things done in the community. How to organize. And, and, and mm-hmm. leadership pro, mm-hmm. or training program through that. And part of it was coming up with projects that made the community a better place to live. Mm. That's what J.C.'s did. Well, I, I wrote a drug education program teaching grade school children the ills of drug abuse with humor. Mm. It's a concept I had in those days. They weren't teaching drug education at a college level or a high school level, let alone at an elementary school level. But, but I knew what year I was that roughly?
1: Yeah, what year and how old? Sixty-eight. Sixty-eight. And how old were you then? You were like in your forties or something? Oh no, uh, I was right, my forties. 20s? Joe. Twenties. 30s. twenties. Twenty. Okay, wow. So this is a financial show, but Joe has a hard time with. Well, I'm man. just guessing, Richard. I don't know. Joe, so.
0: Let me see, Joe. If you were correct, I'd be 111 <laughs> yeah, right now. Your number was right. Well, you're
1: in great shape, man. I'm telling he's you, he's our <laughs> oldest guest <laughs> ever, Joe. Hey, Beginning this guy, out, so that, I'm, I'm going to get into your physical fitness because I know you work out every day and you're a great golfer, so we've got to talk about that. I'm yeah, anyway, so 68.
0: So I about the, with humor. Right. Well, so now, helping me with the show you how fate has it. Again, I was wandering he didn't know what I going to do in life. i, I uh, go going to, to convince the school boards that we should run this project. I'm, I'm giving a, a, a talk at the JC meeting asking for the approval of the board to let me run this drug education program as a JC program. In the meeting, in that meeting is a new member. He's a brand-new guy, a black guy named Tim Reed. Mm. Uh, he decides that he wants to help me with this project, but I already had a guy. I said, gee, I, I, thank you, but I've already got a guy. That night, that friend that I had that was going to help me with the project got a new job and could no longer, couldn't do it. So I said, gee, what was that black guy's name? Oh, yeah, Tim Reed. Mm. We go into the classrooms, and we worked on the project. We go into the classrooms, and the program became number one in 50 states and in 22 foreign countries, they use it as a model program through their publications and how to teach drug education at an elementary school level. Huh. And a lot of the program was based on making the kids laugh, playing music, getting mm-hmm. their attention,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: then planting the seeds.
2: Mm-hmm. And one
0: day, a little eighth-grade girl said, you guys are funny. You ought to become a comedy team.
2: <laughs> and the thought
0: of a black-white comedy team intrigued us because no one had ever done that before. Yeah. So we start writing what we thought was material. Now, mind you, there were no comedy clubs in those days when we started out. So mm-hmm. we worked all black clubs in the north and the south. We worked all white clubs. You know, black clubs called the, affectionately called the Chitlin Circuit, black-owned, black-operated nightclubs. And we worked all over the north and, you, and the south. And, we,
1: and you had some violent... Hey,
0: do's, like No other yeah. act has ever done before.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, America's first black-and-white comedy team that, that we took, and this was 1969 when we went on stage the first time, And, uh, you know, Martin Luther King was assassinated, Bobby Kennedy. The Civil Rights Movement was uh, passed only a few years before that. Mm -hmm. We we caught on all the wrath and the fears of America at that time, both white and black.
2: Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we wrote a book a couple of years ago that's now becoming a movie about our life. It's, and we think it's going to be called Before Our Time.
1: Yeah. Well, you guys got punched out by some guy, right? One night, uh, some big dude. Well,
0: one night. We went, one night, the fourth time on stage, a guy put a lit cigarette out in Tim's face and inside to beat the hell out of me. And I boxed when I was in the service. Uh, but he outweighed me by a hundred pounds yeah. and pummeled me. You know, and another time at the University of Illinois, a guy hit me in the face with an ice ball. <sighs> he went outside and packed an ice ball. Ugh. And the reason being,
1: tell him what Tim said I in the car though that, when you were driving away though. <laughs> when you, Pardon me. Tell him what Tim said when you were driving away in the car after the beating.
0: Oh, he we were, he said it was our fourth time on stage and we were both pretty bad. And he looked at me, and he said, welcome to show <laughs> <laughs> But my point of that is saying that racism in those days, if we worked in all black club and there was a black guy who hated white people, hated him with a passion. He wasn't mad at me. He was mad at Tim for being with me. If we worked in all white club and there was a redneck who, who hated black people, he wasn't mad at Tim. He was mad at me for being with Tim, Yeah, you know? And so we we had to put up with that kind of the fears, you know? And yet there were a lot of people who love what we did and, and like our show, but uh, they, there were other people that were threatened by us, and, yeah. and you know, and that's what we had to put up with. That's why we stayed together six years. Mm-hmm. Tim just decided he wanted to be more of an actor, and you know, he later became Venus Flytrap on WKRP Cincinnati, mm-hmm. and I decided to go it alone and be a stand-up, and uh, and we both struggled for a long time, but then all of a sudden I did the Tonight Show, and he got some series, at sitcoms, and. And we're both the best of friends to this day.
1: So tell everybody how you got the Tonight Show, because it it doesn't happen by accident. Uh, Were you performing somewhere in L.A. and, and one of the talent coordinators saw you, or how did that work?
0: Yeah, the Comedy Store, and I pestered the hell out of the Tonight Show coordinators, a guy named Craig Tennis. I pestered him to come and see me, and he finally came to see me one night, and I... Uh, I was auditioning with a new kid named Billy Crystal, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we both got the show. Uh-huh. And, and then he called me in and said, "Hey, uh, call me in his office." And he said, "I saw you do 20 minutes the other night. Show me what five you would do if I put you on the Tonight Show." So I showed him in the office, and he said, "Take that out. Take that out." And he said, "Okay, put that. In. Okay, you're on next Tuesday." What that? What, what,
1: what was the date? Give us the date. I'm sure you remember the in date. In
0: December 1975. There you go. Now, mind you, I was. Uh, this was before that. I got bumped four times each time i went there they ran out of time oh my gosh you know but you have to i want to explain to your audience listening in 1975 wherever you went in america people say what do you do for a living you say i'm a stand-up comedian the next question out of their mouth was oh yeah you ever been on johnny carson
2: yeah and if you
0: hadn't been on johnny carson in the eyes of america you just weren't a comedian right you might want to be one or going to be one but you weren't one now yeah that show one appearance on that show Freddie Prince got a sitcom the next day. Mm. I did one appearance on The Tonight Show, and the next day CBS signed me to a development deal. Mm. I was drawing unemployment one day, and the following day my whole life changed. Mm. From one appearance, in those days, 15 to 20 million people watched that show. Mm. And, and, uh, and so I can't tell you the pressure, the enormous pressure. And I went there and gotten makeup. And was ready to go three times in a row. And they bumped me all three times to come back another week, come back another week, come back another and week. And you got
1: to stay positive, and right? And that's a, that's a test of staying positive, right? It must be frustrating. Well,
0: on the fourth time I went to, I'm in makeup. And Fred DeCordova, the producer, came in the makeup room and he said to me, i got bad news for you. I said what he said you're going on <laughs> 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 where was you your family you saw the size of a grapefruit. was your
1: family back in Illinois at the time a uh, time uh, uh, time or did I, I them- got
0: my, my wife and kids came out here. My wife left me like two or three times she never, she just hated show business she mm-hmm. didn't want anything to do with it, mm-hmm. but I finally talked them into coming out here. I talked her into coming out here and mm-hmm. the kids and And in my, again, one appearance on that show and the next day, I mean, I was doing Dinah Shore, Merv Griffin, Mike Douglas, Johnny Carson, Midnight Special, Rock Concert, Soul Train, American Bandstand. I'm the only white comedian ever doing uh, uh, Soul Train. Soul Train, yeah. Uh, Wow. So, so, so so Tom, Tom,
3: Tom, Tom, did you ever visualize that moment when you were reading Norman Vincent Peale and reading Napoleon Hill? I mean, did you ever visualize that before it actually happened?
0: Yes, Richard. And that's a great question. I read a book called *The Power of Your Subconscious Mind* by Joseph Murphy. Okay, and it, it, that book, of all the books I read, totally changed my whole, uh, per, my whole direction in life. I now began to realize, after reading that book, how you make things a reality. Mm -hmm. Nothing can become a reality unless Mm -hmm. it's thought first. Mm -hmm. So every night before I'd go to sleep that night, when I was sleeping in a car at one time, hitchhiking up and down Sunset Boulevard, I would envision myself talking to Johnny Carson, Mm -hmm. seeing myself there, and Johnny saying, you're a funny guy, Tom Dreesen, knowing that if I was sitting down talking to Johnny, that I already succeeded in stand-up, because in those days, you had to do three or four stand-up mm-hmm. shots before Johnny let you come and sit down and talk to him. Yeah. To America, you had arrived when you did The Tonight Show, but to my industry, you arrived when Johnny talked to you. Yeah. So I would see Johnny saying, you're a funny guy, Tom Dreesen, you're a funny guy. I would see it, I'd feel it, and I'd believe it yeah. every night before I went to bed and when I woke up. Whenever I give motivation speeches, I tell this story and I hold up the picture of Johnny Carson. It's in my office right now mm-hmm. of Johnny laughing at me. And I say, this is the picture I image in my mind when I was sleeping in the abandoned car. <laughs> Nothing can become a reality unless it's thought first.
1: There you go. I think Phyllis Diller had a book she loved called The Magic of Believing by Claude Bristol. But we'll get back with Tom Dreesen, legendary comic entertainer, right after this break. Hang on. We are back with the award-winning It's Your Money and Your Life. Now, this is the time where Richard thanks our sponsors.
3: Big thank you to our sponsors. No, The Tonight Show has never been a sponsor. However, we have some <laughs> great ones. UBS, Michael yeah. Carranza and Drew Friedis. Thanks for the tennis tickets down in the desert. That was a blast. Our favorite CPAs on the planet. we got two of them. Signature Analytics, Jason Kruger, a great CFO firm also, or more traditional CPAs. Plato Epic CPAs, Don Epic and Paul Polito. Carl Seeler with Berkeley Research Group, an absolutely amazing business valuation firm talking about making money, how about cost segregation initiatives, Joel Grushkin, helping real estate owners improve their cash flow. Now, if you need to protect all this money that you're accumulating, Brenda Geiger, Geiger Law Office, specializing in asset protection and estate planning, and she's an upcoming guest here really, really soon. If you need a place to store all that money, how about California Republic Bank, a bank that specializes in working with high net worth families and family offices with Lane Elliott and Sean Puckett. Neil Staley with Mars Maddox Insurance, now known as hub international absolutely incredible employee benefits firm also the lombardi group and the lg experience helping wealth advisors make heroes out of cpas to the cpa's very best clients one of our favorite guests paul hines ceo of hearthstone private wealth management paul of course heads up the senior safe and sound.org initiative here in san diego helping to prevent elder financial abuse also michelle lirac with berry good food foundation Nathan Watkins with worldwide credit. Nathan, of course, is an absolute expert on home mortgages. And last but not least, a place to go get some great coffee that has yeah. a new location coming yeah. up, right, yeah. Joe? Yes, so
1: Lestat's Coffee House open 24 7, 365 and University Heights, Normal Heights, and a new one opening on University Avenue. And gosh, not only do they have coffee, Richard, sometimes they, they have great comedy. Well, they have te- they have comedy on Tuesday nights, yeah, by Tuesday the way. Tuesday nights. Yeah. If you ever want to sneak down here in Tom, that would blow people away. They have Sound a host, would blow people holds, away. It holds, holds about 80 people if, uh, if you just want to do a nice, intimate setting where you want to break in some new stuff or, or whatever, that, that might be fun. But anyway, uh, Richard. Joe, Joe,
3: where can our listeners find out more about our great roster of sponsors. All they
1: have to do is go to iymoney.com. There's a drop-down menu uh, that says "Sponsors" on it, and all their information is right there. So, uh, but let's get back with Tom Drees the legendary comic uh, uh, Tom. So, the the shot on the Tonight Show obviously went extremely well, and uh, your your whole career changed and life changed overnight. Um, how did you stay grounded and not get caught up in all the temptation that probably happens to a lot of uh, people?
0: Well, fortunately for me, I paid a lot of dues. You know, as a child, you know, growing up with eight brothers and sisters, as we talked about earlier, you know, Mm -hmm. shining shoes, setting pins, caddying, you know, um, selling newspapers on the corner, four years in the military. By the time that I went into comedy, I had uh, paid enough dues that I was more of a mature You know, um, individual than most comedians at the time. You know, 85% of all stand up comedians that I've met in my life are insecure, neurotic, sometimes psychotic, Mm -hmm. loved, starved Mm wrecks. And the other 15% are gifted, confident people who Mm -hmm. say, I know how to write a joke and I know how to tell a joke. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was fortunate. In, in that respect that I had paid a lot of dues. <clears throat> um,
1: so you're already in your 30s and, as opposed to being a young kid 20. Well, right? I, was,
0: I was in my late 20s you know when I well, well, you know of course I was in my 20s when I set up but I was in my late 20s when the team stood up I I was you know like 30 years old and oh. now I'd already paid a lot of dues um,
1: but I mean on a, and tonight, I didn't I mean, do
0: drugs but and the, in those days <clears throat> I was very anti-drug of course because I, I taught drug education as you know to grade school children so yeah. I was very anti-drug, and in those days, cocaine and grass, and everybody was getting loaded yeah. at the comedy store. Sure. Except for there were three comedians who were not getting loaded, David Letterman, Jay Leno, and Tom Dreesen. Uh, and we're still here. Yeah. You know, yeah. and a lot of them are, are gone. You know, those who, you know, um, Johnny Carson once told me something very interesting after my first Tonight Show. He said, remember, for every hundred men that can handle adversity, only one can handle success. Because really? along with success comes a responsibility to remain successful.
1: And stay grounded. And
0: that pressure oh. would just blow some young kids away who didn't pay dues. And they'd get into the cocaine and all the other stuff, and and before you know it, their their you know their careers were destroyed.
1: Yeah, Johnny was pretty much a straight arrow too. I mean, we heard about. He, I know he talked about his drinking episodes. And look, you started hanging out with Frank. I'm sure there were late nights and parties and everything else. But uh, you know, I'm sure you. Uh...
0: Well, even with Frank, Frank never went to bed till the sun came up. You know, and he wanted you to hang out with him. He, he went, whether we were on the road or off the road, when the sun came up, that's when Frank went to bed, and that's a fact. You know, and and he wanted you to hang with him. And, yeah. and I did. It was fun for about 10 or 12 years, but it kind of, you know, wore yeah. you out after a while. Yeah. Uh, one night I cracked them up in Vegas. We had been on the road doing one-nighters all over the place, and we ended up going to the Desert Inn. Opening night we did two shows, and now we're in a restaurant. It's 4.30 in the morning, and Frank is going strong. <laughs> oh, and I wanted to go to bed. I got up from the table. There's about five guys at the table. He said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to bed. He said, what for? I said, I got to get up early in the morning, go to the cemetery, and visit those guys. He said, "What guys?" I said, "All those guys who died trying to stay up with you every night."
1: <laughs> <laughs> he must have laughed at that, right? Oh my gosh. Oh, he go- cracked up. Oh yeah. my gosh! That, that is- well, how did you yeah, ever meet? Was- how did you meet uh, Frank in in the first place? Because that must be a good story.
0: <clears throat> well, it all came about from being glib at the right time. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, Smith. <clears throat> That's okay. It all came about from being glib. I, I was. I toured with Sammy Davis for years, Mm -hmm. and then I started touring with different artists. I was touring with uh, Gladys Knight and the Pips and, you know, Eliza Manali and I toured with Smokey Robinson, Mm -hmm. and we were in Lake Tahoe working at Caesars, and Frank Sinatra was next door at Harrah's, appearing at Harrah's, and I had worked Harrah's many times with Sammy Davis, so I knew the people there, so after my show one night, I rushed off stage. I didn't even change out of my stage clothing, and I rushed over to Harrah's to Catch Frank's show. Mm-hmm. As I was running in the showroom, the vice president of Harris Hotel was talking to a big heavyset guy with a cigar, and he called me over. He said, Tommy, come here, come here. And I went over there, and he said, Tommy, this is Mickey Rudin. Well, I recognized the oh. name. That was Frank Sinatra's lawyer. Yeah. Lawyer, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he said, Mickey, this is Tom Dreesen, and I think Tom would make a great opening act for Frank Sinatra. And the lawyer got a pained expression on his face like he heard that a million times, mm-hmm. and he winked at the vice president, but I caught the wink. And he said, hey, kid, if I gave you a week with Frank, would you want more than 50000 I said, Mr. Rudin, put it this way. If you gave me a week with Frank, would you want more than 50000 <laughs> He said, I like this kid. You know? <laughs> and about a week later, they called me and said, would you like to do one week with Frank Sinatra at the Golden Nugget in Atlantic City? And I said, yeah. I said, I figured I would get my picture taken with him, hang it in every bar back in Chicago, and, and I'd be happy. Uh-huh. But the second night there... After I performed with him two nights, he and his wife Barbara took me out to dinner. And I can remember, like it was yesterday, he set his knife and his fork down and he looked at me and he said, I like your material and I like your style. I'd like you to do a few other dates with me if you're interested. And I didn't say, <laughs> Let me check my calendar. You know, I said, What time yeah. do I be there? <laughs> it turned into 45, 50 cities a year for almost 14 years. Isn't that amazing? And a friendship that I'll never, ever forget. Uh, he was like a father to me in the end. I was a pallbearer at his funeral, and yeah. I spoke at his funeral. Yeah. And, and and I miss him every day of my life.
1: Yeah. Larry King was there, too. You must have got on his show a few times, right, when Larry was on? Or? I,
0: yeah, I, I did Larry's show. You know, I, did, I also did the, when Larry had a radio show back yeah. in New York. Oh, you yeah. You know, I was on Larry's radio show Maybe thirty-five years ago, when he would fall asleep while he was talking to you.
1: Yeah, well, he was going midnight to five, and that was real time yeah. East Coast time. So that's a, that was quite a show back then. We used to get it at nine o'clock here, and I used to appreciate that. But but man, that was great. So once you once you uh, were endeared to Frank, I guess every th- all the doors open for you, huh? And in, and in the, in the well, tach- you
0: know, you know, yes and no. I mean, the fourteen years I took with Frank, I turned down more sitcoms than most comedians get offered in a lifetime. Mm. I mean, every time the networks would call me and, and, and I want to know if I'd work with an ensemble group. I, had, I thought that would mean I had to quit touring with Frank. And I, I just, I loved him. I mean, he, yeah. he was like, like I say, first he was like a boss, and then he was like a buddy. And yeah. then we became, he became like a father to me. And I yeah. stayed at his home six times a year. And, mm-hmm. and I just, you know, I, um, I just did not want that to end. I knew it's the end of an era. Yeah. You know, when I was a little boy, if you played a word association game with me, if you said love, I'd say mom. If you said baseball, I'd say the Cubs. If you said show business, I said Frank Sinatra. Yeah, Mm
2: -hmm. you know
0: Sammy Davis Jr., Dean Martin. To me, that's what show business was like. And here I was doing the Dean Martin shows, toured with Sammy, touring with Frank. Um, I I was, I was. You know, Christopher Morley, the author, once said, "Success is living the life you want." Yeah, and I was living that life that I wanted, so I wasn't going to change that for the world. And I don't regret it to this day. Well,
1: it's so great that you've stayed grounded and, and you know, kept your stuff together, so to speak. And uh, actually, I know you're in great physical shape and you're great and You're still doing the Sinatra Golf Tournament every year, right? You're doing that?
0: Yeah, this is the 28th year. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing was, you know, 28 years ago, I was flying, coming back from New Orleans with Frank in his jet. And we were coming into Palm Springs, and as we were coming over the mountains, he said, oh, by the way, I'm going to do a golf tournament to help raise money for the Barbara Sinatra Children's Center, and I want you to help me, Tommy. I want you to MC and then do some stand-up comedy, and I'll sing a few songs. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, sure. I thought it was for one year. That was 28 years ago, yeah. and we we're still doing it, you know.
3: What time uh, of the year do you hold we'll, that event?
1: No, it, it comes it comes on in, in March. But March, okay. We'll, we'll come February. Or or, yeah,
0: we just did it at just the did. end of February. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We'll talk more about it. We've got to take a break right now. We'll come right back with Tom Dreesen, veteran, legendary comic entertainer, right after this.
2: This is March. All
1: right, I hate to interrupt uh, the chairman of the board with that great song about Chicago. We're back with Tom Dreesen. We're both natives of Chicago, and it is a it is a great town. And, uh, Tom, you had a, a funnier, great story about that, right? Well,
0: when I was a little boy, shining shoes in all the bars in Harvey on the south side of Chicago, mm-hmm. I would bring my money home to my mother, and, and she would help feed my brothers and sisters, but she would take a nickel out and put it in a cracked cup. And each time <laughs> I'd bring my money home, she'd put another nickel up there. When she the cup got filled, that I could go downtown, my brother and I, my older brother and I, we'd take the Illinois Central, the IC, to the Loop downtown to the Chicago Theater. And I would sit in that Chicago Theater and watch live acts in those Mm. days as well as they showed film. Mm. And so, uh, and that's the first time I ever saw a comedian live was in that theater as well. Mm -hmm. But now for me to be touring with Frank Sinatra and we're, going into Chicago to appear at the Chicago Theater, and my name is on the marquee with mm. the chairman of the board, Frank Sinatra. Mm. I can't even tell you what that's like. And then for me to go out to my hometown audience and be the opening act for Frank Sinatra. And then after I finished my show, there'd be a slight intermission, and then the, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the theater would go dark, and Frank Sinatra would walk out with no introduction whatsoever. He'd walk out the center stage, a spot would hit him, and he'd look at the audience and he'd say, this is my kind of town. Chicago is, and the whole room would just erupt in the cheers and cheers. It would, it would make the hair on the back of your neck stand up.
1: <laughs> did he ever say how did you, all your people get in my room? Ever, <laughs> I've heard him say that when he go, came out on a night. Oh yeah,
0: Never? no, he, he just—I he, mean, he just had this great way of—he uh, knew—he knew show business. He knew yeah. the stage. He knew. He wow. knew how to work an audience. You know, we would go in 20,000-seat arenas, 20,000-seaters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In Hawaii, 40,000 people showed up in Hawaii and it, with big screens on the side and everything. But he'd go into a 20,000-seat arena, and within a moment, he'd bring that whole audience down like he was in a saloon. The guy in the furthest seat up on top would feel like he was in a bar with Frank, yeah. and Frank would be singing to him or her. You know, He yeah. just had that well, magic. Today... <laughs> Yeah. Today, entertainers you know try to excite an audience with a lot of technology like laser lights and all yeah. that. Frank Sinatra was a laser light, Sammy Davis jr. Dean Martin. Oh, when
1: they put the they spotlight when they put a spotlight on him and nothing else. I mean, they just sucked all the air out of the room. You know, he, he does that song. You know, one for my baby, one for the road. But uh, I mean, he was already a giant in the film. Look, he had entertained generations and, and radio and, t- and film and, t- and the movies. I mean, there's no one today that is even close who's who, who have, have done great things in all other aspects of entertainment, right? I mean, who else is there? I can Oh,
0: arguably the greatest career show business ever known, and I say this because. Everybody thinks of Frank Sinatra as this incredible popular singer, the greatest pop singer of all time, and that's true. But they forget what a brilliant actor he was. Yeah. He won the Academy Award in From Here to Eternity. Yeah. But what about the movie The Man with the Golden Arm, where he should have won the Academy Award? Yeah. What about The Manchurian Candidate and Von Ryan's Express and oh, the movie one. called Suddenly, where he played an assassin? What people forget is what a brilliant actor. And I once was sitting with him. Gregory Peck, Kirk Douglas, Clint Eastwood, Robert Wagner, all at Frank's house, all sitting around 3 o'clock in the morning, and they were talking (laughs) about film. And I said to Frank, I was curious, I said, did you ever study acting? Because I was curious who he studied with. I said, did you ever study acting? And Gregory Peck grabbed my arm. He said, ah, acting lessons would have ruined him. <laughs> he was a diamond in the rough you didn't fool with. You know, yeah. this is the man who danced with Gene Kelly, for God's sake. I mean, this was a – there's no entertainer ever been like him
1: and, and, uh, that had yeah. such
0: range as him. And he
1: liked to do everything in one take also because some of these directors, you know, in 10 takes, 12 takes. I mean, how do you keep it fresh and real? But I read something – it might have been one of the books where uh, the director said uh, – you know we we're, we're two weeks behind on shooting, and he took the script, and he ripped out a bunch of pages. He goes here, now we're caught up
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he was He was very impatient, but he knew I did some shows with him where like I had a pilot who he came and appeared on the show with me, and I told the camera keep people and everybody be ready he's going to hit his mark he's going to know exactly what he's going to do, and we get it one shot at it, so yeah. don't blow it. Yeah. I had backup cameras and everything and, and you know but uh, he 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 just was he was uh, you know again um, he knew the business. Yeah. And he and he knew and, and not, not only here here you got this man with he's a great movie star he's a great the pop the greatest pop singer of all time but all this mystique about him was he connected to the mob did the mob guys know him all that mystique that surrounded him all mm-hmm. those years mm-hmm. that even every time they tried to knock this man it gave him another boost you know yeah
1: well added to the mythology and you have to kind of uh, you know whether the press creates that or, or somebody or the curiosity hey you remember Irv Cups in his show in Chicago did you happen to get mm-hmm. on that when uh, when you oh played? I was
0: I was was in his column all the time and I knew Irv <laughs> it was one of the first ones ever to write about me and he, he had a show, you remember it was called Caught in the Art of Lively Conversation Yeah,
1: Cupp's Column, you know, yeah, Cup, 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 yeah. yeah
0: Well that was his column, yeah. but his show his TV show was, he, he would say you know, welcome to Cup's show, Caught in the Art of Lively Conversation Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: exactly yeah. I remember that show, and it was a it was, it was a big uh, success in in Chicago. So. But you,
0: you in those days, a columnist like Irv it, one mention in his column, and, and you got known throughout the city. Oh yeah, I mean that that's how powerful the column was in those days. But Irv Kupson, it might have been the last of the honest reporters. Yeah. By by that I mean he checked every story out. He would never go to press if if somebody said I saw. Joe Vecchio and Richard and Tom in a bar the other night, and they stayed up till 4 in the morning, and and Richard, uh, you know, got sloppy drunk. Of course, we know that's not true, but whatever (laughs) it was, before Cup would run with that story, he would call. Yeah. And he'd say, "Is this true, guys? I'm ready to go with the story. Did you guys really close that bar?" He's the last of that kind of reporter. Today, they just hear stuff off the internet and run it.
3: Yeah. yeah well, Richard yeah. said, "Gee, I don't remember." But yeah. well, Richard, hey, Richard, Richard,
0: <laughs> Richard's never had a drink. In yeah, his I don't life, drink. By but
3: so, so, <laughs> so, Tom, what are you working on these days? What are you working on currently?
0: Well, I'm you know I'm on the road. I, I've got a one-man show called "An Evening of Laughter and okay. Stories of Sinatra." So I've been doing that in theaters all around the country. It's a 90-minute show. where... The theater goes dark, and Dennis Farina narrates my life, God rest his soul, but he narrates my life about three minutes of film. I come out, I do stand-up comedy for about half an hour, and I segue to a bar, and I tell a funny story at the bar, and then the lights go out, and Frank Sinatra comes on the screen singing. It's quarter to three. Wow. There's no one in the place except you and me, so I let that mood set in. When he gets to the course, make it one for my baby and one more for the road. Yeah. The light hits me, and now the audience is in a bar with me. And I'm uh-huh. sitting at a bar with a bottle of Jack Daniels, <laughs> which is Frank's drink of choice. Yes. You know? And then I tell him the first time I heard that voice, I was shining shoes in a bar on the south side of Chicago. Yeah. And he was on the jukebox. And I take the audience from that little boy mm-hmm. hearing Sinatra on the jukebox in the south side of Chicago to one day carrying his coffin out of a church in Beverly Hills. Wow. So I take them on the journey, and while I'm telling stories, pictures are coming on the screen, authenticating the stories that I'm telling have as you, well as video of Frank and I together. Tom, have you thought of making
1: and, a film of this and uh, or somehow getting it onto a DVD of some sort or making video Yeah, video what production? I'm going to
0: do when I'm through doing it, I'm doing it all around the country in theaters now, and when I'm finished doing it, I probably will do it for like a home box office or Showtime yeah. or something like that.
1: I think that's great. Uh. Hey, they were going to do a thing yeah. with uh, Frank as, as a hologram where he comes out on stage and he looks almost 3-D with the technology today. Did that ever go anywhere, or did you hear anything yeah, about that? Yeah, they
0: did it in New York at Radio City Music Hall, and people who saw it said it was really, you know, uh, quite authentic. But for some reason, it never went any further, but it's a great idea. Yeah, it's kind of. But, you know, I mean, I, again, uh, you know, he was, he was so unique, uh, and there just was, was never anybody like him. And by the way, I'm not saying he was uh, a saint. He right. was flawed like everybody, but he right. had a side to him. Let me tell you a real quick story. We're coming out of Waldorf Astoria in New York one time, heading to a gig, and it, it, the limo, was. we went out the back way, and the, the woman jumped out of the doorway, and the doorman told me she'd been hiding in the doorway for five hours <laughs> waiting for Frank. And she she's yelling, Mr. Sinatra, please, Mr. Sinatra, we are getting in the limo. She said, please, Mr. Sinatra, please, and the security stopped her. And Frank turned around, and he said, what is it? He walked back to her. She said, my husband is homesick. If you would sign an autograph, it would mean the world to him. Please, Mr. Sinatra, it would mean the world. He said, sure. And he's signing the autograph, and she said, oh, what beautiful cufflinks. They were $2,000 cufflinks. I know where he got them at. And he said, thank you. And he finished the autograph, and he took the cufflinks off, and he gave them to her and said, give these to your husband. She said, oh, no, 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 I don't want them. I was just admiring them. He said, no, I want your husband to have them. We get in the car, and I said, Frank, that was beautiful. But wh- why did you do that? He said, Tommy, if you possess something that you can't give away, then you don't possess it, it possesses you. Huh. Wow. And uh, and it was just another lesson that Frank Sinatra taught me, you know, that it's okay if somebody says, gee, I like your Mercedes-Benz and you don't give it to them. Mm-hmm. But when you're shaving and looking in the mirror, you got to admit to that guy, that car owns you because yeah. you can't give it away.
1: Huh. What a great life lesson. So, But, uh, Tom, uh, you'll stick around and have a bonus track with us because I sure. think there's a lot more to talk I about. I hear music. Yes, you the do. The official oh, show yes. is over. So thank and you, there's Tom. no Dr- one there. <laughs> <over that show. laughs> so folks, go to iWymoney.com to hear this bonus track. Uh, Richard, great seeing you. Justin Hart, our sound engineer. Thanks for making us sound terrific. Thanks to Craig Blanky, our con executive, and Dave Sniff, our programming genius here at KFMB. Have a great week, everybody. And uh, all these com- podcasts are commercial-free on iwamoney.com. Bye-bye now.